Good morning and welcome to Malvern Hill Baptist Church. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here. Somebody left me some notes trying to drop me a hint. I'm the senior pastor here and it is my privilege to welcome you as we've come to gather here at Malvern Hill uh, for worship today. If you look around, we're a little, little sparsely attended. Some of you are aware uh, we do have a number of our students and their families who were at home because they were exposed and some have contracted COVID. Everybody is doing well, so I do want to share that with you. But if you look around, you go, man, how did Craig run all these people off? Um, I didn't do it this time. I didn't. Uh, maybe next time. But uh, let me just take a moment as, as we're seeing, unfortunately, COVID cases sort of do this again, that all of us are tired of it. And I promise none of you are more tired than I am. We all despise it. Let me just encourage you. Uh, one of our, our primary Christian responsibilities is to consider others better than ourselves. And so this has become such a political thing. And every, and can I just, before I get into my sermon, why has this become political? Okay. And, and I'm going to tell you why. And if you're convicted about this or if you're angry, then the Lord, you need to pray about it, okay? And I'm, I'm just going to be honest. It's become political because where God and our religious lives should be transcendent and be the most important thing in our lives, we've elevated politics to somewhere right alongside that. And I'm going to tell you how it happened, okay? Real quick, we're not even in sermon yet. When we began to believe that if we voted the right people in, then God's will would be done and that God's kingdom would come to earth, then what we, what we did was we said that politics are up here. Politics become a worldview and a religion for us. Okay, What we've seen is as the spiritual decline in our country has happened, we are created for worship. Our hearts worship, period. All of us do. As we worship, when God is removed, we've got to find something to fill it with. So in the pagan world, what it gets filled with are all sorts of, of gods, right? We've got, um, you know, gods of, of, of nature and all those other things. But in America, what's really awesome is we are way smarter than to think that we should worship the sun or the moon or, or, or the tree in our backyard. But we still have to worship something because there has to be some transcendent control over the world. And so we say, I got it. If I'll just vote the right way, then everything I want to have happen will happen. And politics becomes that transcendent thing. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. Because some of you are sitting here, you're going, yeah, the Republicans are like that. Look here, you're that way. And some of you are going, oh, those Democrats. No, no, no. We all are that way if we're not careful. So the way that COVID becomes so politicized is God got moved down a notch. Now, this ties into my sermon because we're going to see what, what happened when, when God got moved down a notch in Isaiah's life. When God gets moved down a notch... Everything else sort of gets elevated. All right? So, when I talk about COVID and considering others better than yourselves, considering others better than ourselves is not Republican or Democrat. It's not Fox or CNN. It's Jesus. All right? And if you can't say amen to that, you should say ouch. So, as it relates to something like the flu, COVID, or heaven forbid, a norovirus. You show up here with a stomach virus, I'm going to find a way to get you kicked out of the church. All right? I don't know if I can actually do that, but if you come here knowing that you got a stomach virus and you give it to me, it's on. I just want you all to know, I'm going to pray imprecatory prayers against you. Those are those prayers when I'm praying down God's curses. All right? So, just do this for me. Okay? As it relates to COVID, consider others better than yourselves. Right? If you were exposed to COVID last week, don't show up at church this week. Okay? 
If you think you might have COVID, don't come. If you think you might have the flu, stay home. Uh, well, Craig, what about everything else? Then, then listen, across the board, if you have something that you think could be communicable, do me a favor. Stay home. If you think, I probably don't, 98% chance I don't, but maybe there's something there, put a mask on to show up at church. That's fine. Right? Just, just think about others better than yourself. Think about getting a vaccine. I got mine. I didn't grow a tail. I don't have any ears. All right? Everything, everything turned out all right. I, I, I didn't, I, I mean, honest and truly, with these massive muscular arms of mine, I didn't even feel it. I broke three needles on the process. Anyway, a bunch of our people are at home. None of that part, that part's not true. It was only two needles. Um, you want me to tell y'all? No, I won't. We need to move on. There's, y'all ask me later, and I'll tell you how, how embarrassing. I, I got embarrassed when I, had, when I had my COVID shot. Y'all ask me in private, and I'll give you the whole story. I look like an absolute moron. But, um, uh, but, but all that to say, there are a number of our folks watching at home. Y'all, I love you. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that you're home. But I'm, I'm, I am glad that you, you did the responsible thing and, and stayed there. Uh, we miss you. We look forward to having you back. So uh, I was with all those students. I, I came through unscathed. I'm so grateful for that. But uh, uh, just, just want to encourage you to do the right thing. And, and do pray for our students and pray for our children. Uh, so what happens, you know, you guys, if you've ever been a teenager, you know, camp is great, right? You show up at camp, everything's great. You get the spiritual high. And this is, this is a spiritual battle that we're, we're encountering. Our kids come back, and then, boom, they get punched in the face, and half of them aren't here. We had to cancel a lot of things they were planning to do. They're not going to be doing a big thing they were hoping to do next week. Our children aren't getting to go to, to, go to children's camp this week because we had this uh, COVID outbreak within our church body. And uh, so just, just pray for our children our teenagers. These things are, are heavy for them as we move forward. And if, if I made you mad with anything I just said, you're probably too sensitive, but I'm still willing to engage in a conversation, so call me tomorrow and we'll talk about it. Don't send me like an angry text message because that's just going to, I'm just not going to like that. Just call me on the phone and we'll talk about it. All right? If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And do not show up at church with a stomach virus, please. Just put that out there. Don't. I'm more scared of that than I am of COVID. Uh, all right. Um, a uh, couple reminders, we do have a church-wide fellowship tonight, so we're going to have sandwiches that will be provided uh, and ice cream, but you're supposed to bring the ice cream. We won't judge you if you bring a box of ice cream. We will love you more if you bring homemade ice cream, so that's kind of the way this works. We would invite you to do that and come at 6 o'clock. I'm looking for somebody to tell me. I just got home. Is it 6? 6? 6. Okay, 6 o'clock. So at 6 o'clock this evening, we'll all be in the back. Kids can play outside and do whatever, whatever you want to do. All right? Having said all of those things, uh, we do have baptism come up as well. Uh, so if, uh, if you are interested in being baptized, you can fill out the form online. You can call the church office. You can get in touch with me, and we'll get that lined up. Okay, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, as soon as I find it. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having taken, taken, or having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched it to my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And turn and be healed. And I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant. And houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray together. Father God, please give us understanding today. Give us wisdom and knowledge. Change us. Lord God, give us a vision of a God who is greater than us. In Jesus' name, amen. How can you discover God's will for your life. It's in the first time we've preached on this. As a matter of fact, this is really tied in close with what Luke Talbert preached here just last Sunday. But what does it look like to discover God's will? You know, in the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, there's a lot that gets packed into that very first sentence than you might at first realize. In the year that King Uzziah died. In our modern age, we attach great meaning to certain dates. There are certain dates or even years they contain much more meaning than the numbers on a paper. Just consider July the 4th, 1776. September the 1st, 1939. September the 11th, 2001. We might even list a whole year like 2020. We like dates because we like precision. We want to know exactly when it happened. Isaiah was more concerned with what happened than when it happened. July 4, 1776 is only important because the United States declared its independence. September the 1st, 1939 is only important because it is the day that Germany invaded Poland and began World War II. September 11th, 2001 was just another day at Presbyterian College for me until the news report showed that the U.S. was attacked, the Twin Towers fell, and another generation of Americans lost their innocence. 2020 was just a year like any other until a pandemic gripped the globe, racial tension boiled over, and political division exploded. The death of Uzziah was a cataclysmic event in the history of Judah because, because Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. 52 years. Now, in the early years of his reign, Uzziah was faithful to the Lord. But after about 40 years of getting the job done, Uzziah grew proud. And Uzziah decided that he was the king. He was in charge. He was going to go into the temple. He was going to sacrifice his own incense. He didn't need the priests. He didn't need the prophets. The Bible says that as he walked into the temple, you can read about that in 2 Chronicles 26. That he, what happened? Uzziah walked in. He was confronted by the priest. Uzziah said, I am the king, essentially. And God struck him with leprosy. 
As a result, the last 11 years of Uzziah's life, he reigned as co-regent with his son, Jotham. 2 Chronicles 27 teaches us that Jotham was a good king who feared the Lord. When we paste these things together, what we find out is that the year that King Uzziah died represented the end of a 52-year span of political stability, of financial prosperity, and of spiritual stability. It was the end of an era. In that time, the Lord was worshipped. Judah was prosperous. The military was strong. The death of Uzziah was the ending of everything that Isaiah had known. It was a time of unknowns, of fears, and of questions. Isaiah wasn't too concerned with the date. That's why we don't know for sure if Uzziah died. 740, 739, somewhere in that range. Because Isaiah was far more concerned with what happened than when it happened. How many of you have had those experiences in your life when you can't remember the exact day, but the day doesn't matter? The date doesn't matter because what matters is what happened. I remember the day that I got saved. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a night. I can recall that I remember the Lord convicting me as I laid in my bed at night. I couldn't tell you the day. I couldn't tell you the year. But I can tell you what happened. Some of you have had those experiences. How many of you have had those experiences where days and weeks seem to run together? We're in the midst of it. You're not sure. Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? I don't even know what day it is anymore because I'm in the middle of something that's either good or bad and everything just kind of runs over. Isaiah didn't tell if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We don't know. He just says that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, when it seemed like everything was falling apart, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This morning... How can you discover God's will for your life? Maybe things are pretty good for you. Maybe things are pretty hard for you. Maybe you're in the midst of one of those hard times. Maybe you've been living in a good situation, but today it seems like everything's caving in around you. How can you find God's will? The first thing I'm going to urge you to do is to seek the Lord regardless of your circumstances. Seek the Lord regardless of your circumstances. King Uzziah died, but where was Isaiah? He was still in the temple. Isn't that something? The king was dead. Everything was in an uproar. But Isaiah was still seeking the Lord. Isaiah was still running after the Lord. For Isaiah probably felt like the world was falling apart, but he sought the Lord Anyway, Pastor Adam recently gave me a book. I read it while I was on vacation. It's called The Comfort Crisis. But in it, the author points out that I hadn't thought about this. So one of the things that we've seen, any of y'all like in that 20 to 25 age range in here, we'll say 27. I I, I was about that old one time. Um, But one thing that we've seen that's been a little bit strange as it relates to COVID is that the people, I shouldn't, let me not paint with too broad of a stroke. But many of the people who are most troubled by it sort of fall in this age gap between 16 or 17 and about 28 years old. The people that have the least to to be concerned about often are the most scared of this. I talked with a pastor up in Boston um, several months back. I had him on my podcast. He he said, you know, Craig, it's been crazy. He said, we we ministered to all these university students 
who for the entire population have the least to be concerned about when it relates to this and they're terrified of it. And we've all sat around and scratched our heads and couldn't figure out why. It's like, it's like they don't live in reality. It says you're going to be okay. Why are you so afraid? And I read this and it jumped out at me. COVID-19 was the first time that many of us felt our forgotten stresses and realized that as humans we can still be powerless against the world. It was the first time for those who live post 9-11 to have discovered that they are not in control. That's what happened. We've lied to them. We've sheltered them. We've helicoptered them. You know, what's the, what's the new word? It's no longer helicopter parenting. It's snowplow parenting. Have you seen that one? Right? You don't just hover over them and make sure everything's out of the way. You actually run ahead of them like a snowplow and push everything out of the way so they have zero obstacles in their life. And then we've taught them that science is impenetrable, that medicine will always save you. And look, we teach them so much that we live it out. Right? I, I've got a heart con- I, I, I don't, but I've got a heart condition uh, the doctor said I should lose 30 pounds, I should exercise, but you know what? I'll just eat the french fries and take the medicine and everything will be okay. Then we taught our kids that, right? Oh, you don't need to listen to them, just take the medicine, it fixes everything. And then all of a sudden this thing comes on the scene. And they go, well, give me the medicine. Then we, we don't have the medicine. They're suddenly confronted with this reality that the world is scary. That the world can't be controlled. Everything starts spinning out of control. And we go, why are they being so soft? Because we made them that way. Are you kidding me? They've never struggled. They never had to do anything hard. And we didn't teach them about hard things. Part of the reason we're having this, this racial come to Jesus meeting as a culture right now is because we just forgot to say there was a time when things were really, really, really bad. And we should acknowledge it. All of a sudden, Isaiah's life is really, really, really scary. But he spent 52 years with everything being really, really, really easy. 52 years with a king who outside of one little hiccup where he walked into the temple. Remember, he didn't walk into the temple and go, oh, we're not going to worship God anymore. He just walked in and said, I'm going to do it my own way. 52 years. And all of a sudden, Isaiah's like, I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. And he finds himself there in the temple in any way. In many ways, this was Isaiah's coming out party. He was comfortable, everything was fine, and then boom, the rubber hit the road. Do you want to know God's will and seek Him always? Listen to me, I want you to listen. If you're taking notes, write this down. You will often learn more about God's plan for your life in the storms than you will in the sunshine. You will often learn more about God's plans for your life in the storms than you will in the sunshine. What's this mean for our walk with the Lord? It means that you better be sure that you're seeking the Lord in the hard days just as you do in the easy days. I just got back from vacation. Okay, Let me tell you what it looks like for me to do my devotions on vacation. You know how hard it is? I just have to make sure that I get awake before the children. That's it. There's, There's no challenges well, there was this week because y'all kept texting me because people had COVID. If y'all stopped getting COVID, my vacation would have been easier. Um, that was supposed to be funny. If y'all could laugh, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's a good one. But all I had to do was make sure I got up before the kids did. And look, my kids, two of them are teenagers. The other two like to sleep like they're teenagers. So it's not that hard. If I can make my brother's kids leave me alone, I'm in business. I get up, I read my Bible, 
I ride in my devotion. I drink my coffee. I listen to the waves crash on the shore. Oh, it's great. But folks, what happens when life gets hard? What happens when the kids aren't sleeping till 8.30? What happens when there's hard things? What happens when something keeps me up all night for two nights, three nights, four nights in a row? What happens when there's illness or sickness or pain or struggle? What do we do when the world seems to spin out of control? We've got to seek the Lord in the hard days. Will I be working as diligently to seek the Lord when life is hard? The Bible says that Isaiah saw the Lord in the dark days and it changed his life. Is it possible that Jesus, the light of the world, shines the brightest in the darkest of days? Is it possible that in the darkest of storms, the light of the world shines the brightest? That he's most obviously present? That he's most changing towards us? He changes us the most in those days? Seek the Lord in the hard days, regardless of your circumstances. Can I tell you something? There's some of you that I'm speaking this to right now that are going, Brother, I need to hear that. Some of you are going, I need to make sure I seek Jesus when life is hard. And some of you are sitting there going, Oh, Craig, it's so hard today. Some of you, Craig, you, you spent 30 minutes a morning with Jesus last week. Folks, can I, can I tell you that if you can't find 30, can you get five? Can you? When it's hard, will you do it anyway? Seek God regardless of your circumstances. And folks, listen to me. He loves you in the hard days. Can I promise you that he's not sitting up in heaven like this? Hey, oh, Johnny only got in 28 minutes today. Missed the mark. Boom, big X. God's not taking score. Instead, God says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not, check, you did your work. No, 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 come on in. I want you to sit down. Stay a while. I have this vision. I don't know if it's true, but that maybe there might be some spots in heaven like where the Lord just invites us, and it looks kind of like a, a Cracker Barrel rocking chair front porch, you know. We just kind of come in, and you're weary, you're tired. You just kind of fall in. Any of you have a parent like that? Any of you have a home like that? Our goal as parents is to make sure that our home is always a place of respite for our children. Angel and I talk about that a lot. We want it to always be their safe place. One of my goals is for our church to always be the safe place. Y'all have heard me say this before. One of the things I love the most, I see our teenagers leave and they run off to college and some of them thrive, but some of them get off and they spend a year or two and things get kind of hard and kind of rough. They make some bad decisions. They wash out here, they wash out there. And I love it when they limp back in. I love it. Inevitably, I find out what's going on. And a lot of times they want to look at me and they go, I I'm sorry. I say, I, I don't want to hear that. You're home. Quit talking. Sit down. I'll see them. I wish we had chairs up here. We should put those big ones back up on stage. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I see them just kind of slump down into a pew. And they'll just kind of sit low. Because they know. Some of y'all know what it's like to limp into the church. Can I tell you? Isaiah 42 promises that our Lord doesn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. Are you bruised? Are you beat up? Is it hard today? You're in the right place. We don't shoot our wounded. We bind them up. We bring them along. Welcome, to the, welcome back home. We're glad you're here. 
Seek the Lord regardless of your circumstances. Because why? Those who seek Him find Him and He will not run you off. Oh, I, I got to finish. But can you just imagine this? Like, You know the story Jesus talks about the prodigal son. Do you know that when you limp back home to Jesus, He's never going to look at you and go, You're not welcome here. Instead, John 14, 6 says he's going to prepare a place for us. Right? A place. A bed. And it's there and it's mine and he's got it. And I get home and I say, Jesus, I messed up. Jesus, I've I've, I've failed you. He says, we'll talk about it in the morning. The bed's made up. I'll have breakfast ready. Everything's going to be all right. But you don't understand. I just imagine that the Lord might sometimes look at me and say, shut up. I understand I'm just not worried about that because I'm worried about you. What a Savior. What a Lord. What a King. Isaiah sought the Lord. Second thing, see the Lord, though, as he is, not as you want him to be. I don't know what Isaiah wanted to see from the Lord, but I'm not sure he got what he expected. In the year that King Uzziah died, when the citizens of Judah were scared, they were uncomfortable, they were nervous, they were terrified, they were all of those things, the king was dead. Isaiah saw the Lord seated on his throne. Watch, the king is dead, but God has not been dethroned. The king is dead, but the king of kings sits enthroned in glory and majesty and honor. And when Isaiah looks up, he says, God, the king is dead. And God says, ha, you thought the king was dead. I'm here. You might sometimes see the Lord not as you wanted, but as you needed. As he needs you to see him. As he wants you to see him. Are you willing to see God as he is? Like, are you willing to allow the Lord to be the Lord? Elijah didn't get to see the vision of the Lord that he anticipated. Elijah was beat up. He was scared. He had beat all the, defeated all the prophets with the Lord. And then what happens? Jezebel says, oh, I'm going to get you. And Isaiah t- t- turns tail and runs. He's gone. Maybe Isaiah was just smart. You ever had a mad woman after you? You run and hide. All you married people know what I'm talking about. And those of you aren't laughing are just sitting too close to your wife. Um, I'm in trouble. Uh, but, you know, I would imagine that in that place, Elijah's, he wore out. And he wants God to say, Elijah, I've called you and it's going to all be okay. He wants the Lord to show up in the thunder and in the earthquake and say, I'm going to swallow up this Jezebel. But instead, in a small whisper, the Lord says, Elijah, I'm still here. And Elijah says, God, you don't know what you did to me. Elijah, I'm here. No, I need you to be bigger. I don't want to whisper. Elijah, why are you whining? Why are you moaning? Because you don't understand. God, how many of y'all ever told God he didn't understand? I know I have. And those of you that aren't raising your hands are just liars. Um, I've been there. Lord, if you knew. He's like, you imagine. I wonder if the Lord keeps like a list. That Craig said, I didn't know 78 times. Am I going to get to heaven one day? He's going to be like, hey, Craig, you said that. I'm, yeah, my, my, my bad. He won't keep a list. He doesn't. God, you don't understand. Elijah says, God. Or God says, Elijah. You're whining because you think you're all alone. You're whining because you think I've lost control. 
But in the gentle, small whisper, the Lord says, Elijah, I've got my people. You haven't been alone, and I haven't failed. Moses wanted to see the Lord, but the Lord wouldn't allow him to behold his full glory. He says, you'll see me as I pass by, and you can catch a glimpse of my back. Only three of Jesus' disciples got to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of them saw him crucified, dead, and buried. Are you willing to take the Lord as he is and not as you want him to be? Are you willing to take a crucified Lord? Are you? Are you willing to take a God who makes all the rules that you don't get to bargain with? We don't get to define God. He is the self-existent King of the universe, the great I am. When Moses said, Lord, who am I going to say sent me? He says, you tell them I am. Literally, I am that am. What does that mean? God says, you tell them that that's all they're going to get from me because I define existence. I am the very base of existence. I am the ground of all truth. There is no comparison My name is the very source of being. I am that I am. Are you willing to take him that way? Are you willing to have that, Lord? A Lord that just says, this is it. Take it or leave it. I wonder if Isaiah wasn't looking for the Lord to dab his eyes and pat him on the back. I know I would have. Oh God, I'm I'm just scared. Lord, just... If you'll give me some, some affirmation. How, how many of you prayed that prayer before? Lord, if, if you would just give me a little bit of affirmation. Just, just, Lord, before I take this next step, if you just give me some confirmation. And really what you want the Lord to do, just kind of put an arm around you and say, good job, you're doing it. I wonder if Isaiah wasn't just like, God, I, I just, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable. God, I'm a little nervous. God, God just tell me it's going to be okay. He's looking for the Lord to come whisper in his ear. God, if you could do kind of what you did with Moses, like just walk past, let me take a glimpse and just know you're still there. But God knew what Isaiah needed. Isaiah didn't just need to know that God was still there. He needed to know that God was mighty, powerful, holy, glorious, magnificent. He needed to know that he was unchanging, that he was the king of kings and the lord of lords, the alpha, the omega. Listen, this vision, this picture that Isaiah gets of the Lord is terrifying. Don't miss that. The seraphim, this is a word that literally means fiery serpents. You afraid of snakes? You wouldn't have been real excited about what you're experiencing right here. We've talked about this many times. When the Bible gives us pictures of angels, you've got seraphim and cherubim, and they don't look like those little things in the Christian bookstore. These are God's warriors, God's soldiers flaming serpents of the Lord. I challenge you this morning. See the Lord as He is, not as you want Him to be. See Him as He is, not as you want Him to be. Are you willing for God to set the agenda? Are you willing for God to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not, what is holy and what is not? Are you willing to allow those things to happen in your life? See the Lord as He is. Third, this morning, don't don't be surprised when it hurts. Woe, woe is me, Isaiah says. Woe, Isaiah hurt before the coals touched his lips. I was at Fuge Camp with our students two weeks ago. I played football with them a couple afternoons. Physically, I did all right. I mean, I, I, I I can hang, okay? 
But one day, one child who happens to belong to me threw me a pass, slipped between my fingers and hit me in the face. And I fell flat on my face. To make matters worse, it bounced off my head. Somebody else called and scored a touchdown. It was bad. It was bad. The kids made fun of me. I, don't, I, 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 I had to admit that my reflexes aren't as sharp as they were a few years ago, and it hurt. Now, my pride was made to feel a little better when I discovered, like, hours later that I hadn't just fallen. I had been shoved from behind by one of our evil children. <laughs> Your parents need to work on these kids. What you're doing to them ain't right. You know what? Like a skin my knee. Got hit in the face. My pride hurt the most, though, right? I, I didn't even notice the knee. I didn't, you know, I'm so thankful I didn't get a black eye. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been? But my pride, my pride, oh, man, right? All, all these kids, and, and, and when I say all of our kids, some of them, they, they, were, they were all out watching. It, it was rough. We had almost 40 kids there, and every one of them saw me just get pelted in the face with a football. You know, when we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord, we shouldn't be surprised if it hurts. Why? Because he's holy, he's mighty, he's majestic, and in his presence, all of our imperfections jump to the surface. Now, God didn't tell Isaiah to be ashamed, and yet Isaiah was convicted in the presence of the Lord. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. At no point do we see God going, Oh, Isaiah, I caught you. No, no, no. In his presence. Why? Let me give you a side note right here. We don't have to judge people if we will introduce them to the Lord and his holiness. If we will give them God's word, the word of God and the spirit of God will bring conviction. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Why then do we feel so convicted? If Jesus didn't come to bring that condemnation, why do we feel so convicted? In the presence of holiness, we just can't feel any other way. Have you ever stood beside someone who is like exceptionally beautiful? Like you ever been in the presence maybe of like a, of, of a, like, like a, a beauty queen or something? Or one of those fitness models or something like that. You stand beside them and you start looking down and you're like, oh. All of a sudden, every skin imperfection seems to be glaring. You, you, you remember what you look like. Um, you, you know, when you get up in the morning, you look at that. And all of it, they don't have to say anything. You just stand beside them and, and, and you, you know what? I think I'll just slide over here and let somebody else play that comparison game. In the presence of holiness, all of a sudden, our, our, our filth, our sin, our hurts, our shame, our imperfections, they're just glaring. Not because God is saying, look at that, but because the light of His holiness reveals it all. But He doesn't reveal it to condemn us, but instead to save us. So that we might confess our sin and be saved. Do you want to know God's will for your life? I want you to know that Isaiah's experience with the Lord hurt him initially. Because he experienced God's holiness. So we shouldn't be surprised if it hurts a little bit when we find ourselves in the midst 
of the Lord. When we discover God's will for our life, the cleansing process doesn't always feel good. Have you ever had somebody clean out a wound? You ever, you ever gotten you know, a scraped knee real bad or something? It gets like gravel stuck down in it. And somebody has to dig all that out. It hurts, doesn't it? Some of you know what it's like to, to maybe have had an infected wound and they have to actually go in there and they have to clean out the dead skin. They have to continually clean that wound so that it can heal, but it hurts. The process of cleaning it away hurts. Be prepared when Jesus gets a hold of your life. It might not feel good. But it's because he's stripping away the dirt. The the grime, the sin, the shame. And, And listen, for some of you, you've held on to the pain and to some of that shame for such a long time that it's it's become a crutch. When you take it away, it doesn't feel good. You go into withdrawals, it hurts. Because it's become part of your identity. You go into to, to, to sort of DTs over these things. And this isn't always just specifically tied to substance abuse. When our shame and our sin has become our hiding place, and those things are removed, it's scary and it's painful, and we actually want it back. Even though it's slowly killing us, it's comfortable. It hurts, but the hurt is temporary on the way to healing. Don't be surprised if it hurts. Isaiah said, woe is me. And then the Lord did what? He sent one of his angels who took a coal from the fire and touched his lips with it. He said, you're clean. That didn't feel good. The process was painful, but the result was beautiful. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Don't be surprised if it makes you a little uncomfortable. Don't be surprised if it hurts a little bit. And then finally, be ready to go. The kids like to say, let's go all the time. I I don't know where they're going. They say it all the time. Last night after Chase Galise won the gold medal in the 400 meter individual medley, he pounded the water and yelled, let's go! I don't know where he's going. He's already in Japan. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, you need to be ready to go. Watch. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So Isaiah's just experienced the Lord overwhelmed by God's holiness, convicted of his own sin, playing with fire, and the Lord says, I need somebody to go. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. You ever notice what happened right there? Isaiah didn't say, God, where are we going? God, what you want me to do? He says, here am I, send me. Probably a good thing he, 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 he stuck his hand up before he knew what he was going to be doing because the, the task that he's given is not a pretty one. He says, Isaiah, you're going to go to a people who won't hear you. You're going to go to people who don't want to listen. You're going to pronounce judgment on this people. Isaiah's been there in the temple. God, things are bad. God says, oh, no, you think they're bad. I'm still on my throne, but your life's going to be pretty tough for a little while. Isaiah, because you're going to pronounce judgment on these people. They feel comfortable, but Isaiah, you got to tell them. you got to tell them what they got to do. you got to tell them to change. Whom shall I go? Who, whom shall I send and who will go? I said, here am I, send me. If you want to know God's will for your life, you've got to be ready to go. Go where? Go wherever he leads. To whomever. Whenever. Wherever. Coastal Carolina. 
had a pretty magical football season last year, and they had a motto, we'll play whoever, wherever. On national TV, they kept saying it over and over, whoever, wherever, we're ready to go. Are we as followers of Jesus as anxious? Whoever, wherever, whenever, God, we are ready to go. How many of you are ready to go? You say, where's he going to send me? I don't know, but is your bag packed? Are you ready? Isaiah sought the Lord in the hard days of his life, but God didn't just coddle him, right? It's dark, remember? These are hard and scary times. Isaiah says, God, what you want? God, where are you? God, I need you. And God says, Isaiah, you think this is bad? I get it, but I'm still on my throne and I got a job for you to do. The darkest nights of your soul, God may give you the most important words that you will need. And when the Lord says, go, you've got to be ready to go. If you aren't willing to change course today, then let me just say this. You're not seeking God's will for your life. If you're not willing to change course today, you aren't seeking God's will for your life. You might claim to be, but deep down you know. Because you know, God, I'm ready to do this or this or this, but Lord... I'm not ready to do that. What is the one thing that you wouldn't do for the Lord? Where's the one place you wouldn't go? God, I'll do everything but that. Folks, listen, we've got to get to a place where we've sacrificed that to him as well and say, Lord God, even if it's that. We've got to get to a place where we've written the Lord a blank check. Here am I, send me. God, you fill in. The place, the person, the time. God, I'm ready. But how do we get there? It begins with a recognition of who God is. See those people that I've mentioned? Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jesus' disciples. Why were they willing to go wherever God would send them? Because they knew the Lord and His splendor and His majesty. Do you know the Lord that way today? Have you seen the Lord as He is, not as you want Him to be? Do you know Him as more than just a grandpa in the sky? Is he more than just Santa Claus? Is he the king of glory? When you think of the Lord, do you see him high and lifted up? Do you see him as holy and majestic? Do you see him as powerful? You see, when we begin to grasp who God is, then we begin to, to become open. To wherever he would send us. And it's in those moments that we can discover God's will for our lives. Now I've said before and I'll say again. God's will for your life is not mystical and magical. Right? Love God, love others, change the world. We talk about that here at Malvern Hill. That's God's will for all of his children. And it, it, it's, it's, it's said in different ways throughout the scriptures. Right? Micah 6, 8 says what? Uh, we should do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. All those things tie in. This is what it looks like to serve the Lord and to live according to His will. But the reality is that, that there are times when the Lord has a specific direction for you. The thing that only you can do. 
For instance, 6% of people, recent research I read, 6% of people attend a church because a pastor invites them. You know what that means? I ain't got much chance. It's something like 85 or 90% of people who attend church for the first time do so because a friend or a relative invited them. You're waiting on me to bring people to Jesus. We're going to be here for a while because they don't want me. They want you. God's called you to do it. To go to your friend, your brother, your neighbor, your co-worker. There are things that the Lord's called you to do. How will you discover it? How will you discover those specific tasks, a specific area? And listen, if you're waiting for your burning bush, you will die waiting. Instead, do the things you need to do. Seek the Lord. Seek Him as He is, not as you want Him to be. Expect an encounter with the Lord to change you and then get ready. Because let me tell you this. An encounter with the Lord will not leave you where you are. He may or may not move you physically. But he will change you. And he will move you from the place you find yourself in today. So this morning our invitation is simple. How can you discover God's will for your life? Those who seek him find him. Those who seek him, find him. You say, Craig, it's hard today. And I say, seek him in the hard times. Craig, it's easy to seek him in the easy times. Craig, I don't like what he had to say to me. I've been there. Craig, I believe the Lord's called me to do something hard. I've been there. Craig, I can't get over this sneaking suspicion that he wants me to sell everything I have and carry the gospel somewhere else. Okay, we'll support you. Pastor Craig, the thing that I believe God wants me to do shouldn't seem that hard, but I just don't know how in the world I'm going to share the gospel with my mom, with my dad. I don't know how I'm going to share the gospel with my husband or my wife. Pastor Craig, I know I need to. It's hard. Craig, I know God's will for my life is to walk away from that addiction, but you know what? It's, it's hard. Okay. God won't leave you where you are. Are you willing to take that next step so that the Lord can show you, and lead you, and guide you? into places where he would have you to go. You say, Craig, you don't understand, and I'm here to tell you I might not, but I know the God who does, and he loves you right where you are. You say, Craig, I've messed up so many times. Okay. He loves you right where you are anyway. And he stands ready to lead you. So if you're here today, first off, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and you say, Craig, I don't even know for sure what that means, I've never considered God's will for my life, but I know that where I am is stuck and I need to go somewhere else. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And when we do, I'd love for you to come down front. I'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Line you up with somebody that can walk you through that process so you can see what it looks like to become a Christian.
Perhaps you're here today and you say, Craig, I just would like you to pray for me because I, I'll be honest with you, I, I think I know what God wants for me. And I've been running from it for six months or a year or two years. I'd love to pray with you. Pray that God will give you the courage to embrace His will for your life. Perhaps this morning you'd just like to come up here and pray. Whatever it is that the Lord's leading, in just a moment we stand and sing, I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Thank you for the vision that you gave to Isaiah, Lord God. May we see you high and lifted up. Glorious, loving, holy. May we be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, can I give you this one more thing? Sorry, one more thing. Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. In other words, woe is me, I'm dead. Nobody looks at the Lord and lives. And yet, one of God's angels came and touched Isaiah's mouth and says, your sins have been atoned for. You say, Craig, you don't understand. I couldn't look at the Lord and live, and I'm here to tell you today. That in the place of that angel touching your lips and atoning for your sin, Jesus Christ died to save you. And the reason that you can look upon the God of the universe is because you look through the cross of Calvary. And behind that cross, the Lord is seated upon his throne. And when he sees you, he sees it through the death of Jesus. Clothed in his righteousness and his mercy. And there's hope for you today, no matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus stands ready to receive you. Let's sing together.